man, I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, we, we we're going to be low, I think, in all three services. We had uh, 24 guys. Uh, we had a bunch of guys go to ministry. We had 24 of them, I believe, who stayed over uh, an extra night in Oklahoma City last night. And um, I'll just give you two choices. Because uh, I, I really don't know the answer to this. I, I, A, they may have just wanted to spend more time just together in the Word and prayer and just, you know, encouraging each other. And, and I, I hope that's it. Or B, they may have rode go-karts and ate barbecue all evening. I, I, I don't know, you know. And, and yeah, I'll just let you, you ask them when they get back. They'll be back tonight. And so see what they did. And uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. Also got a lot of other people running the marathon. Uh, I know Callie. Uh, Pastor Chris is not here today because Callie is running in the marathon. And uh, several others from our church are running legs in, in the Oklahoma City Marathon. And I, for one, am really glad that I'm here preaching the Bible. Aren't you? Huh? Rather than running a marathon, uh, I, I run. I actually do run about once a week. Not very far, but, you know, just uh, I, this, this week it was Thursday, I think, or Friday. I, I don't know. But I, I did run once this week. I ran two miles, and, and I like to bike, but, but I, I run once a week, and it just it does something good for my soul. It just makes all the rest of my life look better, you know, and it makes me not want to go to hell because I think hell will be something like that. What, what I feel when I run, I think that's... that's that's akin to that. And so I'm glad I'm not running a marathon. I'm glad I'm here with you looking at Acts chapter 8. Now those who were scattered, this is verse 4, went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. I like that verse. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that's called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on him and they they received the Holy Spirit on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be uh, with the people of God today. uh, To have Bibles that we can, can come to understand and know who you are and what you've done and what you will do. Uh, the way that you work, so that we can be warned of of that which we should flee from. And we can be encouraged to pursue that which we should pursue. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work today, and that you would open our eyes and our minds to your word. 
Father, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the cool things about the book of Acts that you've probably begun to see is that the Word of God is simply unstoppable, okay? The Word of God in the book of Acts is simply unstoppable. Uh, we, we left off last week with Stephen dying, okay? That's kind of where we ended with Stephen dying. Uh, he, he, he sees heaven. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and it talks about this guy named Saul who's standing there with the, the, the cloaks, uh, the clothes, the garments of those who stoned Stephen. And then in verses 1, 2, and 3, it talks about how Saul begins to just persecute the church violently. In verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He was dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So basically, Saul is just going. You know, when he finds out someone went to church, finds out someone's a Christian, finds out someone's associated with Jesus, I mean, he literally goes to their house, he breaks down the door, he drags mom and dad away, kids are crying, they're screaming, you know, throws them into prison, some were killed. I mean, it's just this, this horrible scene of persecution. But, but notice, I mean, I mean as, as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen, you know, persecution to the apostles. We've seen uh, dissent or disunity within the church. We've seen uh, Ananias and Sapphira and, and their line to the Holy Spirit. And, and we just all these challenges of the church. But the word of God is simply unstoppable in the, in the book of Acts. No, nobody can stop the progress of the church. And in the same way, notice what happens is Saul ravages and persecutes the church. Verse 4 says... Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, and so so as they as they scatter out of Jerusalem, you know, Saul is just 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 persecuting and harming and, and killing and arresting Christians. But as he does that, everybody begins to flee the city. But as they flee the city, what are they doing? They're preaching the word. So so they flee from Jerusalem to whatever their hometown was or somewhere else in in, in that region. And then as they go, they, they preach about Jesus. They preach about the word. And so so the word just spreads all the more. And what we find here in Acts, Acts chapter 8 is an example of, of, of someone who fled Jerusalem and what they did as they fled. And the guy's name is Philip. Okay. And so, so Philip goes to Samaria, which is really amazing, by the way, because nobody likes Samaria at this time. Okay. Especially the Jews. The Samaritans were, were sort of half Jews, if you will. Uh, they, they didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Nobody liked the Samaritans. But, but the gospel changes everything. And, and so Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to preach Jesus there. He, he's doing these awesome miracles. God is moving. Uh, I, I, again, I love verse 8. There's much joy in the city, okay? Uh, so, so people are coming to Christ. There's great joy in the city. And even this guy named Simon believes and is baptized. And that, that's kind of an amazing thing. It probably was an amazing thing to the people because if you'll notice verse 13... It says Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, continued with Philip. It's amazing because Simon was a magician. Okay, now when you think of magician, when we think of when I think of magician anyway, I think of the guy in Vegas or the guy in Branson. You know, the guy doing tricks up on the stage and. I, 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 Somewhat, maybe. I mean, they, they, Simon was doing these wonders, these amazing things nobody could figure out. But, but, but really, the, when the Bible talks about a magician, it's really talking about someone with demonic power, okay? Someone who, who legitimately has some supernatural power. You know, the ability maybe to tell some, some future events or to know things about people that nobody else knows or, or the ability to, to cause, you know, seizures or, you know, I mean, just this, this, this supernatural, demonic type of power. And, and man, everybody knows this guy. And everybody's impressed with this guy. Everybody fears this guy. And, and, and so Simon, when he hears the gospel, when he hears Philip preach the gospel, it says he believes and he was baptized. Okay. Now, the next thing that happens, just kind of to give you some, some chronology here. Peter and John hear about what's happening in Samaria and they go down there. Okay. When they get down there, they find out that the, that the Samaritans have received the gospel, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Uh, if you've been with us, I've already said this a couple times, but I want to say it again just because it's important you understand this. 
Today, when people are born again, they receive the Holy Spirit automatically, okay? It it immediately comes upon them. Whenever you put your faith in Christ, whenever you turn away from your sins and and embrace Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Spirit of God permanently, okay? Romans 8, 9 is so crystal clear about that. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have Jesus. You're you're not a Christian, okay? 1 Corinthians uh, 6 talks about uh, every believer being indwelt or being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we've looked at those verses, but but, but clearly uh, today, Everybody who who receives Christ gets the Holy Spirit, okay? In the book of Acts, it's a transitional time. And there are instances where the Holy Spirit does not fall upon believers immediately. And the reason is, is because Peter wasn't there yet, okay? There's a strong connection in Acts. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, and, you know, Peter sees how, how the gospel's preached. The Holy Spirit falls on the people. There's immediate manifestation of the Spirit of God in their life, okay? But remember, in their minds, salvation is to the Jews, okay? That's that's in their minds. I mean, that, that, that's that's the whole history of the Old Testament is salvation's coming through the Jews. And if you want to be saved, then you need to unite yourself with the people of God. You need to begin to obey the law. You need to be circumcised. You need you need to become a proselyte of the Jews, okay? That, that's the way they all thought, okay? And, and so what God does here is, is now, he, Peter sees what happens at Pentecost. And so now in Samaria, which they're, they're half Jews, okay? The gospel goes out. And what does God do? He waits till Peter gets there. And then when Peter and John pray, the Holy Spirit falls exactly as it did in Pentecost. Okay. And so Peter's thinking, okay, evidently salvation's to the Samaritans as well through Jesus. Okay. And then if you'll notice, we're not there yet, but in Acts chapter 10, uh, God calls Peter to the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile. Okay. Now there you got Jews, you got Samaritans who are half Jews, you got Gentiles who are no Jews, okay? They're, there's, 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 they're, they're, they're not Jews at all, okay? Not even, they're Romans or Greeks or us, okay? And, and what happens? Well, they, Peter preaches and, and, and he prays and the Holy Spirit comes on them as they receive the gospel. The Spirit of God falls on them exactly as it did the Samaritans, exactly as it did the Jews, okay? And then you got one more time in Acts where there's these kind of Old Testament saints who were baptized under John the Baptist or with John's baptism. They preach the gospel, they pray for them. Anyway, so, so the point, I don't mean to belabor this, but the point is, is that everybody comes to Jesus, everybody comes to God one way, through Jesus, okay? And that, that's the emphasis of, of the book of Acts in these sections, and that's why this happens as it is. So anyway, uh, but what happens here is, is that Simon sees Peter and John pray, uh, and the Holy Spirit falls on, on these new believers, and Simon wants that power, okay? Man, remember, he's a magician. What's his background? His, his background is doing these awesome, thi- awesome things that everybody's impressed with. You know, his background is that everybody's talking about him. His background is that he's got this power that nobody else has and this influence that nobody else has and, and everybody fears him. And, every, and, and so he, he sees Peter and John do this thing. And he's like, man, I got to have that. You know, that's what I want. And, and, and so he comes to, to Peter and John and he offers them money. He tries to buy this ability. And Peter not only rebukes him, but basically says, look, your money's going to go to hell with you, okay? You're going to perish and may your money perish with you. Now, now, now hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Here, here's where the tension of the passage comes that we're going to spend the rest of our time trying to unpack. And here's the tension. Verse 13 clearly says, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, okay? So in verse 13, you got some really good things 
being said about Simon, right? Number one, he believed. Okay, that, that's good, right? I mean, whosoever believeth upon him shall be saved. I mean, we, we, we see that all through the Bible, you know, that we need to believe upon Jesus Christ to be saved. So you've got Simon believing. You've got him being baptized, okay? Every true believer is going to be willing to say publicly, I, I am identified with Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that, the first way that we do that anyway, is through baptism. And so Simon believes. Simon is baptized. Not only that, he continues with Philip, okay? I mean, he, he's like, man, I, I want to see more of this. I want to be a part of this. I, I'm, I'm going with you. Where are you going next? Because I'm going with you. Okay, so we see some really good things about, about Simon, but yet down in, uh, in verse 20, Peter says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither lot in this matter. You, uh, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of your wickedness of yours and pray the Lord if possible, the intent of your heart may be, may be forgiven you. I mean, clearly what Peter's saying is you're lost and you're going to perish and you're headed to hell. And if something doesn't change in your life, you're in big trouble. Okay, so here's what I want to ask you this morning. Is Simon saved or is he not saved? Okay. Because verse 13 says he believed and he baptized. He, was, he continued with, with Philip. But, but when Peter gets there and sees what's going on in his life, he says, man, you, you're going to perish. You're in big trouble. And unless you change, you know, you're, you're, you're going to hell. All right? And so there's this tension in, the, in this passage about Simon's life. Okay, and I'd like to unpack that uh, for us this morning. So what's the answer? Well, Simon thinks, seems to think he's saved, and other people seem to think that he's saved, as, as it's written here in, in Acts chapter 8. But what's clear is that God says he's not, okay? Uh, that's, what, that's the way the passage ends. Now, what do we make of that? Well, what we make of that is there is a type of belief that is not saving faith. Did, did you hear that? Because that's really important. There is a type of belief that is not saving faith, okay? Let me show you some examples of that. In Matthew chapter 13, we have this, this uh, parable of the sower, okay? You, you may be familiar with it. Uh, basically, the parable is about uh, someone th- sowing like, like grain, but, but the grain is, represents the Word of God. So you've got people that, are, that are, are preaching the gospel. You've got people that are talking about Jesus. You've got people that are telling people how to be saved, okay? And, and it's represented by a sower sowing seed. Now, the seed falls on, on four different kinds of soil, okay? The, the hard soil that it doesn't even penetrate, and the birds come and carry the seed away, and it's gone, and nothing happens, okay? But then you, and then you've got the good soil that the, the seed sinks in, and it grows, and it bears fruit, Okay, and, and that, that's the person that's saved. But then you've got these other two soils. And I, I want to read you what happens here. I'm not going to read you the actual parable. I'm going to read you Jesus' interpretation of the parable. But in verse 20, he says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, okay, rocky meaning shallow, very little soil, okay? He says, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Okay, so you've got, you've got an example of a person who hears the gospel, and maybe they're in a revival, maybe they're at Falls Creek, maybe they're at church, maybe they're at a Bible study, maybe they're in a small group, but they, they hear the gospel, and they're really excited about it, and there's, there's a buzz going on, and, and they're excited about what's going on around them, and it says they receive it, okay? They immediately receive it with joy, but look what verse 21 says, yet he has no root in himself. There's no root there, okay? There, 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 there's no depth of soil, there's no depth depth of commitment. There's no depth of change in their life. It says there's no written himself, but he endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He never bears fruit. Okay. It's this shallow decision that comes about, but, but there's, there's no fruit that's ever born in that person's life. There's no fruit of salvation. Okay. Notice the next one. Verse, um, 22, that's for what was sown among the thorns. Okay. Many of you are gardeners. You're planting your, 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 
petunias or whatever you plant, I don't know, uh, your tomatoes, your cucumbers, uh, you know that you don't plant that in a, in a patch full of weeds. You know, I mean, that, that's, you don't have great hope for a crop. And it says, as for the one who was sown among the thorns, okay, so you got a thorny heart, a weedy heart. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Okay, so so the seed goes in the ground and it sounds like it begins to sprout, but but it but it can't grow, it can't produce fruit because there's weeds in the soil. No, the, the, the person has never repented of their sins. They've never cleaned out the, the junk of their life to receive Christ into the. They've just added Christ into the rest of their life that's already given to all this other stuff. And, and so here's two examples of of people that seem like at the beginning that that that, that they believe that that they're Christians, that the word of God's taken root in their lives. But time shows that they're really not believers. There's several other passages here uh, I want to show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says an interesting thing. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless, and then he gives us kind of other option, unless you believed in vain. Okay, so, so Paul's like, okay, you need to follow the gospel and obey the gospel. And, and you know, it's the gospel in which you're saved unless you believed in vain. Okay, now what is it to believe in vain? Well, if we go into the book of James, uh, book of James chapter 2, uh, this final example. We're going to move on here, but I, I just want to try to make this point clear. James talks about a faith that's demonic and a faith that's useless. Okay, uh, let me give you those two examples. James chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 19 he says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Okay, now what does he mean, even the demons believe, okay? Do the demons believe in God? Yes, they do. They, they really do. I mean, I guarantee you there's not demons out there saying, I don't believe there's a God, I'm an atheist. You know, uh, there, there aren't any of those, okay? Uh, I was listening to a, a lecture on faith the other day. I don't have time to really unpack this, but let me kind of give you the skeleton of it. But basically, the, 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 the person was talking about how the reformers... Uh, describe faith, and, and they describe faith in three different ways, okay? That, that you have the content of faith, the conviction of faith. I'm making a circle here because he had speedometers. That's why I'm doing that. You didn't know that, so I thought I better tell you that. And then the consent of faith, okay? So you got your content, okay? Now, what is content? That's knowing things about God, right? I mean, we do that, we do that in Sunday school all the time, right? We teach kids. We teach them about God. Who is God? You know, who is Jesus? What did he do? Okay? And, and so you have this content meter, okay, if you will, uh, about whether a person believes these things about God. Okay? There's a lot of people that don't believe God, Jesus was God. You know, there's a whole, whole nations of Muslims that would say Jesus was a prophet. Okay? But he was not God. He's not God. Okay? There's cults that would say Jesus is not God. He, is, he comes from God or he's the son, but he's not really God. Okay? So, so you have your content meter. Your conviction meter is how firmly you believe that content. Okay? So everybody's got like a conviction meter. Okay? And then your, your consent meter is are you resting in that content? Okay, the illustration the guy gave was like of a chair. Uh, I can believe facts about this chair. You know, I can believe, okay, it's got four legs. That's a good sign. You know, if you ever you have a chair that has one leg, bad sign, okay? It's got four, so that's a good sign. I see it's got a back. I see it's got a bottom. I see it's made out of, looks like metal. You know, I know content about it, okay? But as I maybe feel around on this chair and I see you guys sitting, I become convicted. That, that thing's okay. I can sit in it, okay? But I'm not consented, okay? Remember the third, okay? Consent is when I actually, ah, I'm going to rest in this. I, it'll hold me. I'm actually going to plop down in it. Okay? And so in the same way, pe- people, people have, have, have content about Jesus, but are they convicted 
that, that it's true? Do they embrace it? And then the third thing, are they actually resting in it? Are they actually trusting what they know about Jesus? Okay? Well, the demons know things about God, and maybe they're even convicted they're true, but let me tell you, they have zero consent. Okay? Okay, the demons are not saying, Jesus, we want to follow you, we want to obey you, we want to treasure you. You know, you're the great. I mean, no, not at all. They're, they're, they're working against God and not with God. Okay? And, and so there's such a thing as a demonic faith. There's also such a thing as a useless or a dead faith. Notice James again, James chapter 2, verse 20. says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And now skip down to verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A faith that doesn't do anything in your life, you should be very skeptical of. That that's genuine faith, you know? The, the person that says, man, Jesus is my king. He is my savior. Uh, he is my greatest treasure. I am convicted that life is about him. And what I need most is him. And, and I can trust him with all of my life. And then they walk away. And they don't follow him. And they don't obey him. And they don't worship him. And they don't, they don't love him. And, you know, they're doing things in their life that are, that are absolutely opposed to the Bible. Okay, that's a useless faith. Evidently, it's not saving faith. Okay. So, so what we're seeing just a quick look through the Bible is there's a type of belief that isn't saving belief. Okay. And so when it says Simon believed, okay, what does that mean? Well, did he, maybe he believed some content about what's happening. He was stirred up emotionally, maybe about, about the signs and the wonders. He's a guy in the signs and wonders business. And so when he sees somebody doing it better than him, he's like, man, these guys are good. You know, I, I want a piece of this. Maybe he was even really convicted about, you know, man, I, I, I do need to follow God and it's probably a good idea. And you know, but, 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 but he's, not truly put his faith in Jesus Christ. Notice he's baptized. But again, is baptism a sure sign of salvation? It's really not. Now, in no way am I diminishing the role of baptism. Man, I I think there's something seriously wrong with someone who says, man, I I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm I'm not going to publicly identify with him. Okay, there's something wrong there. And so, so baptism is very important, but but we also understand that you can go up there and, and I can dunk you and you can still be lost, can't you? I'm an example of that. You know, when I was eight years old, I was baptized, but I was not saved. You know, I'm 13, 14, age 15, age 16. If I'd have died during that time, I really believed I would not. I would not be with Jesus. I would not have gone to heaven. I was not trusting in Christ. I was not following Christ. I was not yielded to Christ. I was not obeying Christ. I was not treasuring Christ. Christ was not my priority. He was not my passion. I had been baptized. I have pictures. I don't, I don't, I didn't remember it very much, but my mom had pictures, you know, I, I knew that it had happened. I think I even had a certificate, but, but I wasn't saved. A person's fruit, my friends, tells the story of whether their faith is genuine. A lot of times time, you know, as you look at someone's life, as you look at what God does in their life, it tells the truth about their faith. What was the truth about Simon's faith? The truth about it was that he thought he believed He said he believed. Other people thought he believed. But he was still lost. (laughs) That is one of the scariest things in all the world to me. You know, what do you think of when you think of scary things? You know, I I don't know what what comes to your mind. Let me just tell you the three things that came to mind. I asked myself that question because I was going to, you know, try to get you to think about that. I thought, what's scary to you, Jason? Here's the three things that popped into my head. Okay. Number one, um, those, those guys 
who the Taliban capture and, and they, they hood them, you know, and they just kind of toy with them on the internet and on TV forever until they finally behead them. That's really scary to me. Just thinking about how my family would feel knowing that. I mean, that, that's just a scary thing to me. Uh, the second thing I thought of was this Chinese couple. We, we read these hero tales at night. There's this Chinese couple that, um, they were missionaries, and, and the, I think that the Communist, China, Communist Party was coming in. They were arresting Christians. They were, they were executing them. And this couple had a new baby. And they hear the Gestapo, whoever, you know, the, the Chinese people uh, coming to arrest them, and they bang it on the doors. They hide their baby. I think it was under the bed. My kids may remember the story. They hide it under the bed, and, and they arrest them, and they take them out to, to execute them. Man, I just thought, how horrifying would that be, knowing that, I'm about to be killed. My baby's in under the bed, and nobody knows about the baby. They, they had hidden. They, they, nobody knew that they had a baby. They, they were hiding it. And anyway, the story turns out marvelous. But, and, and then the third one I thought of was that, that uh, I don't know why this scares me so bad, but that, um, that couple driving to, uh, I think they were driving to Kansas City from Wichita on I-35. Have you, have you heard that story? They were in the van. It was on, it was on KJIL. They are in the van, and they got caught in a flood. And they couldn't get out, and they were pressed up against the the, the guardrail or whatever. And, and all, they had like five kids, and they're all strapped in their car seats, and, but they can't do anything. And the flood gets worse and worse, and finally the guardrail breaks, and, and, the, the, and everybody gets like busted out of the car, and only the dad lives, you know. And, and man, I, it just tore me up when I heard that story, just thinking about how helpless, you know. I, I mean, just, just being there, you know, and, and knowing my kids, and, and I can't do anything for them, you know. I mean... Those are frightening things to me. But, you know, in all of those things, there's redemption. You know, I mean, if, if you're beheaded by the Taliban, what did we just learn last week? You know, I mean, Stephen's face in death. And what does he see? He did the, the, the skies part and Jesus at the right hand. He's, Jesus received my spirit and God just gives him this incredible ability to be okay. You know, and, and the Chinese couple, that, that's a, such a marvelous story. God leads another believer down that street to hear the baby, gets the baby. They smuggle it out of China to the United States. The baby grows up in, a, in, in another missionary's home, you know. And then the two, you know, the, obviously the two that were executed, they're, they're in heaven with Christ. I mean, there's redemption, you know. That, that guy testifying on the way, I mean, somehow God got him through that. And I mean, there, there's redemption. But, but here's the thing that's so scary to me about this. There is no redemption if you believe you're saved and you're not, okay? In other words, if you die believing something that's not true, there's no way to fix that. There's no way to say, well, it's okay because of this or, you know, this is this way. I mean, there's just no redemption to that. If you're one of the people in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who, who, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many, that, that word many terrifies me. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many, many, mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, that's, that's a frightening thing. That's a tragic thing to me for, for people to, to believe a delusion about themselves. To, to have this false hope of heaven, you know, only to open your eyes in, into an eternal hell. That, that's a frightening thing. And the reason I think it's so tragic is because the delusion keeps them from doing what they ought to do, you know. I, I mean, if you're believing something false about yourself, that keeps you from repenting. It keeps you from seeking Christ. It keeps you from talking to somebody about, about your spiritual condition. 
And the reality is we know this will happen. There will be more Simons. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, is a parable about uh, the weeds and the, te- the, the weed and the weeds or the weed and the tares. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who, who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And Jesus goes on to explain that, that the devil is, is putting false believers in the church. I, I mean, it, it's as clear as that. That's a frightening thing. Now, now here's what I don't want to do today, okay? I mean, I, I just feel obligated to, to point out the reality of that. What I don't want to do, because I've seen guys do this, and I just think it's really unhelpful. I don't want people that are truly saved to doubt their salvation. I mean, I don't think the answer is for all of us to be, you know, doubting and, you know, well, I, I, we, should, we should question ourselves. I mean, I think you should examine yourself. But let me just tell you, I stand up here today completely assured that if I die, I'm going to heaven, okay? And, and you can be completely assured. First John five thirteen, John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, hear that, that you may know that you have eternal life. So it's not like God has created this puzzle. I, th- I think some people, you know, almost get in their heads that, you know, we can't know, you know, like God's like holding out on us. You know, he's up there saying, <laughs> you know, you just got to wonder till you get there. You know, no, not at all. I mean, that God, God is not that way. I mean, God wants you to know. He wants you to be convinced, but he wants you to be convinced of the truth. And so what we don't want to do today is, is create doubt in people that are truly believers. What we do want to do today is, is to kick the ladder of false assurance out beneath those who are, who are certain of something that's not true. So let's look at let's look at Simon, okay? Let's look at Simon. Um, let's look at ourselves as we look at Simon. Um, I, I, I don't think it's really helpful to look at other people so much. Uh, we're going to kind of come back to that at the end. I do think we have an obligation, but, but you know, here's the reality: Philip is a spiritual man, isn't he? I, I mean, we see him doing some incredible things, signs, wonders, preaching the gospel. Uh, he even does this kind of Star Trek beam me somewhere in the, in the next story. We won't get to that till next time, but that's a really cool thing. I don't know what happened there, but God did something incredible. So, but anyway, Philip's just this godly man. But you know what? He misses it with Simon. Okay, and so I, 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 don't, I think we, should be, we shouldn't be so foolish as to think, you know, well, I can tell where the brother Andrew, you know, I, I can see inside people's heart. We can't. We don't. We, should, we shouldn't think that we can. But we can see our own heart, right? Amen. We can see our own heart. So let's, let's, let's deal with Simon. First of all, he, he, here's a couple glaring things we, we see about Simon that I think produces false faith in him. Number one, we never see Simon dealing with his brokenness. Now, I know we don't have the whole picture, but I think the Bible gives us what we need here. And, and we, we clearly see this guy doesn't, he doesn't deal with his own sinfulness and brokenness. Notice how it describes him in verse 9 and 10. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying, this is what he says about himself, saying that he himself was somebody great. Okay, so so Simon's a guy that he's he's real clear about who he is. He's awesome. Okay, he's great. All right, he, he's he's really clear about that. Verse ten, they they all paid attention to him. That just fed it. Okay, from the least to the greatest, saying, "This man's the power of God that is called great." All right, there's not much humility in Simon from what we see in, in who he was. All right, this is a guy who says, "You know what? I am I am something." And I, I'm, I'm amazing. And uh, I mean, this guy has his his his, his ego tank. Completely full, okay? Um, that keeps people from the gospel. Yeah, that's one of the really scary things about our society today um, is that we feed that. I mean, that's almost a virtue in our society is to, to speak really well of yourself, 
you know, and to tell everybody how amazing you are and how better you are than everybody else. I don't know if you're ever watching those reality TV shows. Man, there's a ton of that, you know. I mean, they all do those interviews, and it's like, here's why I'm awesome, and all these other people are dorks, you know. And, and I mean, it, just over and over, they, I, I mean, it's the, whole, the whole show's made of that. That is really unhealthy, okay? And the reason that's really unhealthy is because it's really not true, okay? Here, here's what the Bible says about us. The Bible says we're broken. You, know, you, you, you need to know that about yourself, is that you are internally broken. It's called sin. And your internally broken leads to externally self-destructing, okay? That, 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 that's what the Bible says. Romans 3 says there's no one righteous. There's no one that does good. No, none of us on our own please God. None of us have, have hit home runs. We've not done it right in our spiritual life. You know, we're broken in our relationships. We're broken in the way that we think about God, the way that we think about life. And, and we, have to, we have to embrace that. Knowing that drives us to Christ. You see, we don't know that we're, we're tempted to try to find the answer to our life in ourselves, you know, you ever watch those movies and, you know, you got to look inside yourself. And man, when I look inside myself, it scares me. I don't like to see that. You know what? I like to see Jesus. That's what I like to see. I can see the Holy Spirit. I want to focus on him, not on me. Okay. I don't, I don't want to focus on me. I, I, I'm not, I'm not very pretty. Okay. The, the, the only thing that, that makes me redeemable is the spirit of God in me doing Christ's life living out of me. That's, that's the only, but, but just Jason it's not a pretty sign. Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Luke 18, 9, there's this great picture of these two guys. One's a Pharisee, he's religious, he's dressed nice, he's, he's, he's done all the good works. And the other's this, this wretch, okay, this sinner, this tax collector. The Pharisee, he's praying to God and he's telling God all the good things about himself. You know, God, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. You know, I do all these good things and, you know, I, I, I do all these things for you. And, and the other guy's over there just beating his breast in the corner saying, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, only one of those guys leaves the room justified. The one who knew his sin. Why? Because knowing who we are as sinners leads us to Christ the Savior. Okay, so, so, so I think the first thing that goes wrong here in Simon's belief is, I don't think he ever dealt with his sin. I don't think he ever dealt with, you know what? I'm broken. I need Jesus to fix me. I, I have to depend on... But you, Many of you are believers. You got to depend on Jesus every day. And I do. I mean, literally... At, not, not, not just every day. Let's go ahead and take it down to minute by minute. Really, really. I mean, I, I mean, I, man, I got, I got to depend on him. You know, I, I'm, I'm like a car that's out of line alignment. If I let go of the wheel, in the ditch I go. You know, and, and and believers understand that, and so we cling to Jesus on a moment by moment basis. Okay. The second thing that goes wrong here in Simon's life, he's really interested in something other than Jesus. Okay. Notice what he, what he what he offers money for. Okay. Now, first of all, we're going to talk about that in a minute. The whole offering money is a really bad idea. You're not understanding who God is. Okay. So Simon had some serious misunderstandings about who God is trying to pay him off. Okay. But, but notice what he tries to pay him off for. He didn't try to pay him off for the Holy spirit. Okay. That would have been somewhat still wrong, but somewhat redeemable. If, if Simon would have said, man, I'm broken on the inside. I need the Holy Spirit to help me not to sin and to fix me. And so what do you need? How much does that cost? But I want that. I want the Spirit of God in me to, to enable me to not live in sin and, and to love Jesus. Okay, that would have been somewhat redeemable. That's not what he asked for. He says, hey, I want the power. Let, let, let's read that. What, what verse is that in? Um, 
He says in verse 19, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You know what he wants? He wants, he wants to be the power broker. He wants to be the guy that says, All right, if, if you want the Holy Spirit lying up here, you know, it'll cost you $10 a piece, you know, or 100 whatever, you know, and, and it's lying up here, and I can give you. I mean, that's what he wants. He wants to turn this deal into uh, to a circus act. You know, where, where he's the one that's got the, this ability to give the Holy Spirit. Who's Simon thinking about? Is he glorifying Jesus? Is he wanting Jesus? No, he's not. We, we, we begin to see what it means in verse 13. Why did he believe? Why was he baptized? Why did he follow? He was interested in this power. He wasn't interested in Jesus. He was interested in what he thought Jesus could give to him, to his career, to, to, to his exaltation. And friends, let me tell you, it's a really dangerous thing. It's a really dangerous thing. To seek Jesus, not for him, but for what he can give to you. Okay? Now you're saying, well, pastor, I think we're pretty safe because, you know, none of us in here are, are great magicians. And, you know, I don't think that's the only place it happens. Let, let me give you a very prominent example that I think everybody in here will probably be able to identify with. Would it be possible for someone who's in a relationship, who's in the beginning of a relationship with a Christian? Okay? So you got, you got a young lady and... And, and she begins to date this, this kid, and, and he goes to church. He goes to Lincoln Avenue. Or, or there's this guy, and he begins to date. The, he's really infatuated with this girl, and she goes to Lincoln Avenue. Okay? Is it possible for that kid to make a decision of, of some sort of belief in Christ, not for Jesus, for the girl? Is that possible? You bet that's possible. Not, not only is it possible, but it's probable. I can, I can point to a lot of people who say, that's what happened to me. You know, they fixed it since then. But, but, but initially, that, that was what happened. And, and, and I don't want you to think this is, this is always like a conscious thing. I, mean, I think sometimes someone's just after a certain thing, and Jesus is a way to get that thing. Okay? But if you're not after Jesus, that's idolatry, isn't it? I mean, if what you're after is something on the other side of Jesus, you're not loving him. And sometimes I really believe it's just an unconscious thing. You know, take, take the dating example, you know. I, I mean, hey, how many guys you know? I mean, they, all they ever watch is blood and guts war movies, okay? You know, action thrillers. All of a sudden, you see them at the movie theater, they're at a romantic comedy, you know. They're just laughing. Why are they there? She's there, you know. You have these guys that dressed up means they're, they're, they're clean Bass Pro t-shirt and they're jeans that don't have holes in them, you know. And all of a sudden, you know. They're, they're, they come, they're wearing a tie and slacks. You know, what happened to you? Oh, she likes it when I wear this stuff. You know, I, I mean, it's not even maybe a conscious thing, but it's just the, the, the goal is her. The goal is him. And it's like, whatever I got to do to get that. Say, like, well, yeah, I mean, I started coming to church. I mean, I, oh, yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, he's there. You know, yeah, I like it. And, but, and I really need to get right. You know, yeah. I, I mean, man, how dangerous is that? Not only that, how, how, about, how about when people get themselves in horrible messes? Get sort of in a horrible financial mess, a health mess, a legal mess. And all of a sudden, real interested in Jesus. Now, that's good. That's good to be real interested in Jesus. But the problem is, what if you're not so much really interested in Jesus? You're just really interested in getting out of this mess, you know? And if Jesus can help, well, okay, yeah, I want him. Sign me up. What do I got to do? Get in the water? You bet. I like to swim anyway, you know? Hey, no problem. And you know what you often see in, in those cases is once the mess is over, all of a sudden there's, there's a drifting away. Or even worse, what happens if the mess doesn't go away? Then you get people that are kind of angry at God. 
He didn't, he didn't solve my mess. But, but those are all examples of people whose treasure is not Christ. Who believe for a reason other than I want Jesus. Who believe for a reason other than I need Jesus. He's the only one that can take away my sins. He's the only one that, that can fill me up. He's the only one that can satisfy me. He's the only one that can make me whole. He's the only one that can, can give me eternal. I, I need Him. I need to be joined to Him. He's what I need. Okay, Anything other than that is, is believing in something other than New Testament salvation. Now, it's also clear, as, as I said before, Simon has some serious issues with the nature of God, okay? Uh, hey, pulls out his wallet. He's a rich guy, probably. Hey, how much does it cost for this power? Okay, that, that, that's a really bad idea, okay? It's a bad idea because you're not understanding things about God, okay? First of all, God doesn't need anything you have, right? He doesn't need anything you have. Uh, you, he's not needing any... You, you, can't manip- you can't leverage God. Okay, yesterday Avery's playing soccer and she's playing the blue team. We never have beaten the blue team. They always just crush us. Okay, it's halftime. We're actually hanging with them. It's tied. You know, I mean, this is and the coach. You know, I can see she sees victory. You know, and 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 she tells the girl. She goes. You know, because they've been saying they wanted a pizza party and all this other stuff. You know, that's what's really important in soccer. And so she, you know, keys into that. And she's, all right, if you guys win next week, I'm taking you wherever you want to go. You know, they won, actually. They came out, they pulled it out and won. I mean, it was enough leverage to be like, all right, let's play, you know. Then here's, here's the, I, I love this about kids. You know where they picked? McDonald's, you know. I mean, I'm thinking she could be out for like a hundred bucks, okay. And she's going to get by with 30, you know. I mean, how, how sweet is that, uh, you can't do that to God. You can't leverage God. You can't say, well, God, I know you really want this, so here you go. You know why? Because anything you might offer God, you ought to be doing anyway. It's a sin for you not to do it. Uh, my kids know after dinner, after supper, everybody takes their plate in. Everybody. That's, just, that's, that's, that's what is expected of you. Okay, You may be doing dishes that night, but everybody's going to take their plate in, whether you're doing dishes or not. Okay, so it would be really silly for Haddon to be like, hey, Dad, if you give me five bucks, I'll take my plate in. That's silly, isn't it? Why? Because you got to take your plate in anyway, okay? And now that you made that dumb statement, now you're going to take it in and you're going to do the dishes, okay? So you can't do that to God. You can't be like, well, God, I'm going to start going to church if you'll do this. You know what? You ought to love the people of God with whatever God does. You ought to want, you got bigger problems than, than your job or your finances or your health. Your biggest problem is you're a sinner separated from an eternal God. So Simon demonstrates he doesn't have a clue really about his own standing with God, about God's grace, about God's mercy. You know what? Peter doesn't pull any punches with this guy. Notice what Peter says. Verse 20, Peter says to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Man, Peter's pretty strong with him, isn't he? Most translators agree what he basically says there is, You and your money are going to hell. Um, That's a hard thing. Why does Peter say that? Well, obviously... um, Obviously, Peter sees some radical inconsistencies in this guy's faith. We need to be really aware of that in our own lives and the lives of others. Radical inconsistencies 
in our faith. Okay, I'm not talking about little minor things. I'm talking about radical things. I'm talking about when you say, I believe this about Jesus, but your life says something completely different. Or you say, you know, I, I trust Jesus, but your life says something radically different. You see, Simon claimed one thing, but his actions, his heart, his motives said something incredibly different. And so Peter steps in and he steps in with a firm hand. Why? A couple of reasons. I, I think, number one, he wants to stop any damage this guy can do for the, to the church. But number two, I think Peter is legitimately concerned for this guy's soul. You know, anytime someone says, I'm born again, I love Jesus, I follow Christ, and has this glaring inconsistency in their life, that's a cause for concern. They should be concerned. Really, we should be concerned. I, again, I'm not saying we can see anybody's heart. We can't. But we should be concerned, okay? We shouldn't just smooth that over. And the reason I, I think Peter is so hard on Simon is I, I really think Peter thinks, you know what? It's not too late for this guy. I don't think he's just mad at him. I don't think that's why he's saying I don't think he's just yelling at him. I think he really thinks, man, I mean, notice what he says at the end. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. He said, Simon, you still got a chance. You know, there are a lot of us. There are a lot of us who at one point in our life, we thought we had faith when we really didn't. I just told you my story. I was one of those people. I was one of those people. I, I thought I had faith and I didn't. I told people I had faith. But my life radically was inconsistent with what I said. And I'm thankful for someone who stepped into my life and said, you know, there's some things here. What's going on? What do you, what do you believe? What do you really love? What's going on in your heart? Man, wouldn't it have been a huge temptation to deal gently with this guy? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, think about it. He's an influential guy. Everybody's amazed by him. Having him in your church, that's probably a good thing, isn't it? I mean, having the guy that everybody's amazed with, you know, come to your church. Obviously, he's a really talented guy, eager guy. He's following Philip. You know, he's, he's interested in ministry. Man, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been really easy for them just kind of smooth up? Hey, hey, don't, don't offer money. Put that away. Put that away. That's silly, man. You, know, you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that. Put that away. Now, Let's talk about driving a team kid bus. We need somebody on Wednesday, you know. Let's talk about, wouldn't it have been easy to do that? And you know what would have happened? Maybe. Simon would have, would have lived his whole life thinking he had something he didn't. And the church would have, would have had somebody in it, maybe even a leader, who wasn't born again. It's a tragic thing. Let's look at our own lives. Not, not for the point of causing doubt where there shouldn't be doubt. Hey, you know what? If, if you've repented of your sins, put your faith in Jesus, and you are genuinely seeking to follow Christ, what you want is Christ. I, I think from 1 John, you know, you look at your life, you're trying to be obedient. God's disciplining you when you aren't. You're repentant of your sin. I think you have every, every reason to believe Christ lives in you. And you should be sure of that. But if you look at your life and, and that's not the case, that should be a serious thing to consider.